0: Welcome back to the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Whether you work for a team on the field, the ice, a court track, or a diamond, our association gives you an opportunity to grow. You're listening to episode number 14, One NIL, the impact and constitutionality of the Fair Pay to Play Act, with your host, Brian Saccolo, Alongside Brian is Mike Feblowitz and Mark Rogers sit back and enjoy this episode of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Hello, welcome to this edition of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. My name is Brian Sokolow. I'm a partner at the law firm of Loeb & Loeb, where I'm co-chair of our sports practice. And I'm really pleased to be joined today by Mike Feblowitz, who is the winner of the Sports Lawyers Association's Annual student writing competition. And joining us also is Mark Rogers. Mark is a longtime and preeminent sports agent. And our topic today is the paper that Mike wrote and submitted to the Sports Lawyers Association for our writing competition. It's called One Nil The Impact and Constitutionality of the Fair Pay to Play Act. So we're going to be talking about name, image, and likeness issues as it pertains to college athletics. And just by way of background, Mike is a recent graduate of Boston College Law School, and we're going to talk about his paper, and then we're going to talk about how the NCAA is addressing name, image, and likeness issues, and what the future holds in terms of potential legislation, legal issues, and other issues. So with that as the preamble, let me start with Mike and ask you the first question. Why did you choose this topic? Why was it interesting to you? And um, how did you get to the point of choosing this topic and then writing a paper about it that you submitted to the Sports Lawyers Association?
1: Sure. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, Mark. Um, And may I just say as well, it's a, a real pleasure to be speaking with Sports Law Royalty today. So thank you both for making the time. Um, as far as choosing this particular topic, uh, not not as if I had to search far and wide for uh, something that was relevant in the world of sports law. Uh, obviously, you know, going back to last year, beginning of, of 2020, uh, name, image, and likeness rights were at the forefront, certainly, of, uh, of sports law and, and particularly uh, college sports. Um, I actually had the great opportunity to work Uh, in the Boston College Athletics Department this past fall through the BC Law Externship Program. Um, So I spent uh, half my time there working with the uh, BC NCAA Compliance Office and the other half working with the uh, Office of the General Counsel. And in both those capacities, I was tasked with researching specifically the California legislation, um, and that's what really got me interested in the subject. I have tried to keep up to date with it since then, uh, attended an excellent uh, SLA panel, uh, in Boston as well. Uh, really, this seemed like uh, the topic that had to be written about at the time. And uh, obviously, the landscape of sports has changed quite a bit in the last few months. But uh, certainly, uh, this is still, and and going forward, still will be, I think, uh, one of the most uh, talked-about areas.
0: And Mike, your paper focuses on potential challenges that the NCA might make to this California law. We'll talk a little bit about that and sort of where that stands, but. Your paper is grounded in really constitutional law. Mm -hmm. Let's do two things. First, can you just walk us through very briefly what the Fair Pay-to-Play Act says, the key provisions of it, and then just briefly summarize the constitutional issues that you raise in your paper regarding the potential impact of the Commerce Clause and a Commerce Clause constitutional challenge to the statute, as well as the First Amendment challenge to it?
1: Sure. Um, Well, the the Fair Pay to Play Act, the California Act, basically addresses what schools and what the NCAA cannot do in terms of student eligibility. So athletes, in order to participate in college athletics, uh, have to have amateur status. The NCAA has for decades defined what makes an athlete an amateur. But the California legislation comes in and, and makes a change to that. Uh, basically saying that the NCAA and, and California schools uh, cannot take away an athlete's amateur status because he or she has earned compensation from the use of uh, his or her name, image, or likeness rights. Um, so I- interestingly enough, uh, the California Act does not get into how exactly uh, that would be enforced. Um, we've seen subsequent legislation from Colorado that, that kind of hints that an injunctive right of action or a college athlete who loses eligibility on those grounds. But that's basically kind of how the California law operates. Um, and so when I was looking at the law and, and just trying to figure out kind of how the NCAA would react, there were sort of two different kind of avenues to explore. I mean, one, one being uh, what the NCAA could and should do, practically speaking, Uh, which was perhaps a bit too tall of a task to tackle uh, in in one paper. But the other was was kind of looking at uh, the law itself and seeing if there were possible ways to uh, attack or at least question uh, its constitutionality. One was much talked about uh, kind of among uh, writers, scholars, uh, and that was a potential commerce clause challenge, which I'd be happy to get into. But I also thought that the law as written could bring up some freedom of association issues under the First Amendment. Um, And so both of those uh, might be ways that the NCAA could explore undermining at least parts of these sorts of laws, uh, although we have seen them take action on their own, and and they do seem willing to explore some type of of kind of universal uh, NIL legislation as well.
0: Well, let me turn to Mark on those points. Mark, you've represented athletes professional athletes for a long time you have a, an excellent overview of the NCAA system the role of agents what's your take generally on this legislation and where it's headed because as we mentioned uh, as we were just starting out Mike talks about this California Act, but certainly where we are now is not limited to California in terms of different states potentially taking action and the NCAA's response to that. So w- with um, with the ability to look back to where the NCAA has been, where we are now, and then looking forward, what's your take on on where we stand and what's going to happen next in terms of this type of legislation?
2: Yeah, thank you, Brian. First of all, hey, Mike, congratulations on winning the contest, writing contest. It was a an excellent paper. I, I sat here, I was li- listening to you and I, I thought to myself, man, I, I sure hope I sounded as intelligent as you do when I graduated from law school. I'm afraid I'm not as eloquent maybe as I was back then, but uh, you obviously obviously did a great job on this and certainly understand your topic. Uh, you know, Brian, I, I think that, and <clears throat> Mike alluded to this in his paper, he references the O'Bannon case. And, you know, to me, what California did and what Michael chronicled in his paper is certainly an extension of the O'Bannon ruling by the U.S. District Court the Northern District of California. And to me, California went to the next level. And listen, we're going to a place that is inevitable. I think this has been coming on for years and years and years. It's going to happen. The question is at what level and to what extent. Obviously, I think, and and Mike kind of alluded to this as well, the NCAA, I think, is somewhat abandoned the idea that they're going to fight this. And in fact, now have kind of decided maybe to go to the other side and maybe control the legislation and and the rules a little bit more. Interestingly, I'm I'm from Florida. I live in Florida, practice in Florida, licensed to practice law in Florida. And Florida's new legislation that they passed not very long ago actually comes into into law on uh, July 1st of 2021. And it's, it certainly has advanced what California has started. Um, I think it's really, really very pro college athlete. There's a lot of neat. I think they put some. They they closed some some areas that people were skeptical of, and I think that they've made a really nice, tidy um, law that I think that certainly the NCAA will have to study as they move forward. I, I think at the end of the day, and Mike, this is something that I'd love for you and, and Brian to opine about a little bit. I think at the end of the day, instead of having all of this patchwork legislation state to state, and and having the NCAA try to control it, perhaps this is something that you know the federal government takes on on a, on a more wholesale basis and comes up with a uniform law uh, that we you know the NCAA, the schools, um, and certainly all of the states can live with. Uh, have, did you look into that, Mike, at all during your research, and 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 what what you feeling about that?
1: Yeah, I, I have tried to, to kind of explore that issue. I think that uh, the California law was kind of very deliberate in uh, I- extending uh, a time period, gi- giving sort of a buffer and essentially saying, you know, your move, NCAA. And, and as you, you alluded to, uh, Florida has recently hopped in and, and kind of said, no, it's actually our move <laughs> uh, and enacted legislation that, that will go into effect uh, much sooner. Um, and so I do think that the ultimate goal here for the NCAA certainly uh, is to have some kind of universal uh, nationwide law that will cover this. I don't see how practically it can proceed otherwise, but I do think kind of one of the shames here of, of the way that this process is playing out is that we won't have an opportunity to uh, see how different approaches to NIL rights uh, might ultimately take effect. Uh, so the federal government here in drafting a law will essentially be flying just as blind as any of the states were. And so uh, there could easily be some some bumps in the road if a federal piece of legislation is enacted that that kind of preempts uh, all these state laws.
0: And I'll jump in on that too, because I think that there are just practical problems or obstacles with getting a federal law passed anytime soon, at least. Putting aside the fact that we've got a presidential election coming up in several months and highly unlikely that any type of legislation on this issue would ever be passed before that election. After that election, you've got a lot of other things that are going to be on the docket of Congress, no matter which party controls the White House and which party controls Congress. The idea, I think, of federal legislation on this topic being really a priority for Congress, I think that's uh, that's probably unlikely. Unless there's tremendous consensus among our representatives and senators about this issue, I don't think that they're going to take this up. I think they've got other things on their plate. It could be, and, and I really relate this back to gambling legislation. Same thing when the Supreme Court a few years ago uh, essentially legalized gambling at the state level. We ended up and, and currently do have a large patchwork of different states having different rules in place. And there was talk about fraud, federal legislation on that issue but it hasn't happened. So I think this issue might be caught in that same type of bind where there's a crying out need for federal legislation, but Congress just has so many other things that they want to get to, or if Congress does anything, they might not get to at all before it gets passed. So um, I think it would be great if that happened, but I'm not too optimistic that it's going to happen anytime soon.
2: Mike, do you think there's a possibility that the states would ultimately defer to the NCAA and allow them to take the best and worst of what the, what the states have done and, and put it into one, you know, one universal kind of regulation that everybody can live with? Do you think that's a possibility?
1: I think it is. I, I do want to mention at least one of the positives here that, that leads me to think a national law could be on the horizon is as we've seen in California and and a, I think Florida as well, the overwhelming kind of bipartisan support there is for this type of legislation. Um, so in contrast to the, the gambling laws, for example, it feels like everyone is sort of on the same side of at least giving college athletes some type of name, image, and likeness rights. So potentially uh, that could help uh, with the federal law. I do think the state's and especially the schools within those states would want to see something like that. There is another point that I think is very interesting here, which is that California's law, uh, at least on paper and in theory, uh, was fueled by a motivation, you know, to kind of protect these student athletes, to give them uh, some sort of name image likeness rights. But so quickly, it seems the debate has kind of morphed into protecting. The school's interests and protecting the state's interests, uh, because of the concern that uh, one state allowing NIL rights would give recruiting advantages over other states. And I, I think it's it's important to kind of take a step back and and look at that because we don't want whatever comes out of the federal government to be purely focused on the states and the schools. Right? We don't want to forget about these athletes. So I I, I think coming out of North Carolina, for example, there were some comments uh, essentially that a law needs to get done because otherwise, you know, California, Florida will have massive recruiting advantages uh, over other states. And that is an important consideration, but uh, it's certainly not the only consideration. And uh, I don't want the uh, goals of the students here and the rights of the students to be lost in that.
0: Well, that's a great point. Let me turn to a different point and let me start with you, with you, uh, with you, Mark, on this. And it goes to, I think it, it tags along with what Mike was just saying. What is the effect of this law going to be on student athletes who, uh, in California, Florida, and potentially other places, are going to be able to at least potentially obtain endorsements and uh, in their own name using their name, image, and likeness? And then what's the effect on agents? Um, Mark, obviously, you've been an agent for a long time and. And have dealt with student athletes how would this affect your how you operate as an agent if uh, because uh, under at least under the california statute uh schools and conferences and the ncas are prevent or are, are um, cannot prevent a student from hiring an agent which is uh, a big change from the current landscape
2: yeah well it's a huge change right seismic Really, we could talk about both those topics for hours, um, and I'll, I'll make it as brief as I possibly can. Clearly, name, image, and likeness will be something that only a very, very small number of athletes are going to be able to take advantage of. Just as every player on the National Football League team doesn't get endorsements, um, only just a, very, a handful of them do, and typically it's the marquee players, the quarterbacks, the receivers, the running backs, a great defensive player, maybe. I mean, how, when's the last time you saw an offensive lineman on a national commercial? And nothing against offensive linemen. It's just about marketability. It's going to be, you know, certainly the, the high-profile sports of of football and basketball and, and the elite players. I mean, just looking at this year's landscape or in the last year or so, you look at a Zion Williamson at Duke. You look at a Justin Fields at Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, high-profile players, Heisman Trophy candidates. They're going to get endorsements for certain. Most athletes won't get any and a lot of athletes will get what what I would call local endorsements, car dealerships, restaurants, grand openings of certain stores and so forth. They may make a couple hundred dollars for that. I don't know if I fear this so much as is, is I, um, I I kind of I'm, I'm concerned about this, Brian and Mike, is that in our business, of course, competing for players is, is a very difficult task, especially the elite players. And I wonder, um, like in Florida, for example, you do have to be a licensed athlete agent to work with a player on name, image, and likeness, or an attorney licensed to practice law in the state of Florida. So those are the the two categories of individuals who can work with the, the players. It'll be interesting to see. I think what you're going to see is a lot of competition for those elite players on this legislation, because it's going to give those agents... They're going to feel like if they don't get in on this part of it, they'll never be able to represent the players as a professional. Because what's going to stop an athlete agent, obviously, from signing a young man when he's a freshman in college, carrying on the relationship, and then ultimately, eventually, inevitably representing him as a professional? So now, are we? What I, I'm concerned about: Do we have athlete agents, agents, lawyers on high school campuses or on college campuses pre a, a young man's freshman year? already recruiting them to be their agent. And is that just is that something we want to do to 16, 17, 18-year-old young men and women? It's complicated. I think I think Mike you made a great point. This is going to evolve. There's a lot of unknowns and that's that's the great fear in this. It's very promising and Mike you hit it on the head. I think that if you're right now, if you're a coach in the state of Florida in football, basketball, and, and you can use that as another recruiting tool. Hey, you come to our state, you get to do, you know, we have a new law coming in that you're going to be able to make money on your name, image, and likeness. It's just another reason why a kid might come to Florida as opposed to maybe a school in Georgia, Texas, North Carolina. Uh, it's going to be really, really interesting how that plays out.
0: How do we think different college conferences are, are reacting to this? Uh, you now we've got the California law. That's the PAC-12. And then Florida could be the SEC. It could be the ACC. What are the, what are the conferences' views on this, and what do they want to see happen?
2: You know, that's a, Mike, you can probably answer that question having been in the athletic department of an ACC school.
1: Yeah, I think the conference's main concern at this point uh, is being left behind uh, in terms of recruiting. Uh, and speaking to kind of NIL in general, it's a really interesting area, really interesting idea because uh, on the one hand. I think schools and conferences uh, look at this as a potential an enormous threat to their ecosystem, in part because we know how athletic departments throughout the country are, are generally stretched very thin. Uh, there's massive concern that if some of the advertising dollars uh, are redirected from the school to the athlete, that schools will just face bigger and bigger shortfalls. Uh, there's a finite amount of athletes of uh, sponsorship dollars out there. And if some is going to student athlete, I think the schools are concerned uh, that they might have to cut back staff, cut back uh, programs, that sort of thing. Uh, But on the other hand, I think this idea of NIL legislation actually may help to preserve the current amateurism system, just with a slight modification. Um, You know, a lot of what's been talked about in recent years is the idea of compensation uh, being paid. Um, And I know that is sort of the ultimate fear, ultimate concern kind of for the NCAA and and the conferences. Um, And so by using this NIL framework, they're essentially looking to layer on top of the current system a way for student athletes to make some money, but it largely leaves things intact. Um, So I do think the conferences are, willing to embrace this sort of thing. And especially now that there's concern that it may lead to some competitive advantages to have access to this sort of compensation for some students at some schools and not in others.
0: So I think we're just about at the end of the podcast. Let me ask you both, pull out your crystal balls. And if we were to have this discussion in five years, what would we be saying about where we've Come in those last five years. What does it look like? Why don't we start with you, Mark?
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll tell you what I do think. I think that this is going, we're going to look back and probably think we spent way too much time worrying about this and how it was going to impact the colleges. I think it'll play out over five years. I think it'll play out very well. I think it'll, you can't control the commerce side. You can't ask advertisers and so forth to absolutely engage college athletes in this. But to the extent they want to, I think it becomes a nice way to make up for to the athletes, give them something back for what they're giving to the universities and, and especially the high revenue sports where they're making literally, as you know, literally hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for programs. I think that'll play out well. I, I really, I think one of the things we'll look back on is, and, and you'll see evolve will be how agents are able to uh, navigate through this and utilize it not only to their economic advantage but to their future advantage on representing players. And at the, at the end of the day, I do think it's probably best if the states and the NCAA can get on the same page uh, that the NCAA's legislation would govern uh, everybody's activities because otherwise, um, and Mike hit it on the head, I think to allow states. To one-up themselves over and over and over to give their schools advantages to getting the best players because they have the best legislation, I think is a real slippery slope And how we're trying to, at some point, at some level, at least make this look like amateur sports.
0: Mike, what is your crystal ball show? (laughs) Um,
1: Well, I certainly don't purport to be an expert. And before I I do kind of give my prediction, I just want to give a quick nod to uh, uh, the Sports Lawyers Association and everyone who is involved. Uh, In this writing competition, I know what a massive undertaking it was, especially given what we've been through in the last few months. So thank you to everybody uh, who was involved and and also uh, for anyone who's interested in reading some great uh, sports law content, Joshua Freiser and Josh Goldberg, uh, their papers were also recognized and they were phenomenal. So I I do recommend uh, giving those a read as well if you have some downtime and want to learn a bit more about sports law. Um, But to answer your question, uh, what I think will happen is that we will see this push towards some type of national uniform legislation. I think when you consider how important that is for the NCAA with how important that is to individual states uh, and the idea that this could be something at least not too controversial uh, for legislatures, legislators to propose, uh, I think we will end up Uh, trending in that direction. I don't think it will fix everything. I think a lot of what people see as fundamentally unfair uh, with college athletics will continue to exist. I think some of the uh, problems that we see uh, with corruption, with with bag drops, so to speak, uh, will crop up in this area of name, image, and likeness rights. But I don't think opening up this, this can of worms, so to speak, will spell uh, the end of the NCAA amateurism model. I think there is a way uh, to layer this on top of how things currently exist. And I do hope uh, for the sake of all the uh, the athletes um, that this proves to be uh, a positive for them.
0: And I'll take the last word on this before we wrap up. And my hope is that the NCAA and the conferences and agents and other interested parties are all going to get in the same room, literally, and work this out and come up with a workable solution that, that's fair to everybody and do that in lieu of the need for federal legislation. So um, we'll see. We'll, we'll do this podcast again in five years and we'll see how our crystal balls um, turned out at that point. But with that, we'll wrap it up. Um, Mark and Mike, thanks very much. This has been great. Really interesting topic. And I know the Sports Lawyers Association will have further content on this in podcasts and in webinars, because this issue isn't going to go away a lot more to come. So thanks, everybody, for listening to us. Take care.
2: Thank you, Brian. Thanks.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Feel free to share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Sports Lawyers or find us on Facebook and LinkedIn and be sure to be on the lookout for more podcasts.